If you have a Bible with you, I want to, I want to show you a, a text of Scripture before we go to the, to the book of Acts where we are. But turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, pull it up on your phone or something like that. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. He was in prison in Rome. He knew that soon he was going to die. And he was writing to his young son in the faith, his young protege in the faith, Timothy, encouraging him to come from Ephesus to Rome as quickly as he could to be with him. And in this book as well, he is calling Timothy up. He is calling Timothy out to courage and faithfulness and endurance and expectation. And in chapter 3, verse 10, in this calling him to endurance in the face of very difficult times that were already and would be getting worse and worse, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, But you, Timothy, followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of, the, out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see it in verse 11, at Antioch. You remember last week in Acts chapter 13, where was Paul? He was at Pisidian Antioch. He, they went to the synagogue, and they were reading the Law and the Prophets, and Paul was given an opportunity to stand and speak, and so he did. From the Law and from the Prophets, he preached that Jesus was the fulfillment and led some of them to Jesus, and some of them were begging for more and asking that they come back next week, and indeed, they did, obviously, though, or not obviously, but there was also opposition Opposition that eventually, if you want to turn back to Acts chapter 13, that's where we are. They incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And so when Paul says, the persecutions and sufferings as happened to me at Antioch, that's what he was referring to, what we briefly looked at last week. And he goes on to say, at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. That's what we're about to look at in chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. Played football a long time ago, and one of the things that we would do in football, in practice, was a deal, I think it was often called the gauntlet. They would put running backs through it, wide receivers through it, and what it was was that you had to take the football, and they, would, they had machines to do this, these big contraptions, but they could also do it with a row of players on this side and a row of players on this side. And you had to take the ball, and you had to hold it tight. Coach Parker at North Texas used to tell us, and he had a little lisp. He'd say, Fellas, you squeeze that ball until you hear it say, Psst, and then you let go just a little bit. All right? That's how hard he wanted you to squeeze it. But you would run through that group of 
lines, and what they were meant to do is just pound and beat you as hard as they could, trying to get that ball from your hands. The machine is this thing, it's got all these lever things on it, and as you make your way through it, and you're going as fast as you can, those things are pop, 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 just beating you on the arm and whacking that ball, trying to get you to drop the ball. The goal is to keep moving forward without dropping the ball. The Christian life can feel like that sometimes, can it? That you're having to run the gauntlet of one menacing thing after another taking its wax at you. All with the attempt to get you to drop the ball. To fumble. We use the phrase run the gauntlet to refer to a series of difficult trials that one must overcome. Just one thing after another. Boom, 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 boom. Trying to take you down, take you out, get you to drop the ball. Timothy was facing that. Probably the idea of chapter 3 was that Timothy was thinking, things are difficult. If I'll just sit back for a bit, they'll get easier. And Paul writes in chapter 3, no, 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 no. Difficult days will come. Evil men will proceed from bad to worse. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. Keep on going. Don't drop the ball. Don't drop out. Well, Paul mentioned at Antioch, and now in chapter 14, verse 1, in Iconium, and in verse 8, at Lystra. We saw the church early in the book of Acts go through this. If you'll remember the stories from chapter 3, Peter and John proclaiming Christ. And as the crowd was drawing in and listening close, they were seized and arrested and brought in and interrogated and threatened, released. They went to their friends, they prayed, and continued to proclaim Christ. And when they did, they were arrested they were miraculously delivered, and so what they did was they obeyed and they, began, they continued to proclaim Christ, and in doing so, they were arrested, interrogated, this time flogged, then threatened again and released. And what did they do? They rejoiced and proclaimed Christ. They kept running the gauntlet. Whack after whack after whack after whack. That was the early church in the early parts of the book of Acts. Now we see Paul having to run a similar gauntlet. Again in verse 50, they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. Again, Paul's Strategy was to go to the synagogue if there was one first, because there he could find a people steeped in the Old Testament and he could tell them of its fulfillment. And he spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and Greeks. 
So Paul goes into the synagogue and probably shares a message very similar to the one he had in the synagogue of Pisidia Antioch. That God had done this and done this and done this throughout Israel's history, and now he has done this. He has given the Messiah a Savior. And that in him they can have the forgiveness of sins and justification and the Holy Spirit. And a large number of the people, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. The Jews who disbelieved, not everyone liked this message that Paul was preaching. And they got together and stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. It's interesting, you have the Jews and the Gentiles in the city working now against the disciples. Biblical commentators will point out that in these two groups, you have somewhat a picture of two kinds of folks who are opposed to the gospel. The Jews generally could be thought of as the self-righteous. These were the ones who thought that through their obedience to God's laws, they could be right with God. Through their obedience to God's laws, they could be right with God. And of course, the gospel that Paul was preaching, the New Testament gospel was, none of us can keep God's laws in such a way that we would earn his favor and climb the rungs in such a way that God would be pleased and in such a way that we would be right with him. The reality is that even in our best efforts, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that we can't keep his law in such a way to be made right with him. The Gentiles, on the other hand, generally speaking, if they weren't self-righteous like the Jewish people were, they were self-enlightened. They Rejecting the God who had made himself known in creation, they, as Paul would say, became foolish in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. And rather than worship the true God, they made up their own gods. We'll see that in just a bit. with The whole idea of the Greek mythology and things like that. The Jewish people had a revelation from God and thought they could keep God's rules and thus be right with him. The Gentiles, on the other hand, didn't have a special revelation from him, so just made up a God of their own making and their own thoughts on what it would mean to be right with him. And of course, Paul is preaching a gospel that says, no, God has made himself known in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And to the Jews or to any in this room who may be self-righteous, that in and of yourselves you're going to earn God's favor through your good works, the gospel is a stumbling block to that kind of idea. Because what it says is that no, you are a sinner. God is immeasurably great and holy and righteous, and your righteous deeds are like a filthy rag, the prophet Isaiah would say. 
And so Paul would say in 1 Corinthians to the Jews, this gospel is a stumbling block because it demands of them humility in the admission of their sin. And he would say to the Gentiles, this gospel was foolishness. It's foolish, this idea of a God who would come from heaven and die upon a cross. We've got better ways to approach God. And so Paul would say, to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Gentiles, foolishness, but we preach Christ crucified. That is the power of God, Paul would say. So maybe you're here today and your thought is that, yeah, I understand God is great and yeah, I understand I'm not, but what I need to do is, is, is do better. And I've been doing pretty good and I'm actually better than the people that I, I work with and I'm better than, and I'm better than, and God is, 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 is pleased with me. The gospel says, oh no, 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 no. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, and we can't be righteous in and of ourselves. Christ is our righteousness. He lived the holy life you couldn't live, and he died upon a cross to pay for the, all of your shortcomings to keep God's ways. Trust in him. Or if you're over here and you've said, you know what, the Christianity thing, the God thing, and I've got my own relationship with God. I've, I've got it kind of figured out on my own. Paul would say, oh, no, 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 no. There is a God in heaven. Father, Son, and Spirit. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of you. And he loves you, but you have turned away from him in, into a self-love. And you have replaced him with all sorts of different things. And yet this God has sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to be a savior to people just like you, just like all of us. You need to trust in him. The Jews who believed stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and bittered them against the brethren. Therefore, this is awesome. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking out boldly with reliance on the Lord. The Jews stirred up the minds and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there. It's just boldness. It the therefore may be better translated still, but it keeps the same sense. They stirred up the embitterment against them still. They spent a long time there speaking out boldly with reliance on the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. I think that might be the key word of the, of, of the little paragraph we're dealing with here, divided. That's what happens sometimes when the gospel comes. It divides. Some believed and some disbelieved. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. 
Paul preaches the gospel, and for some, it's an aroma of life. It's the best news they've ever heard. And they believe, and they're forgiven, and they're adopted into God's family and given the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life, and they're safe and secure. Others hear it, and it's a message of death. They don't want to hear it. It's not true. And in fact, Jesus himself said that he came to bring a sword dividing and some of you know this all too well that maybe you've come to put your faith in Jesus Christ and now he's he's the most important thing to you in all the world and yet for your spouse not so much Maybe you're a kid and you've come to put your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to live for him and live for his glory and his purposes, but maybe dad, not so much. And dad doesn't like the fact that you're following Jesus. He doesn't like the fact that you're passionate about Jesus. He has hopes and plans and dreams for you that are different than the hopes and plans and dreams of Jesus Christ. And there's a, there's a sword has been brought, a division. Or maybe at work. You follow Jesus. And there's some things you just won't do as a follower of Jesus. And yet there are others at your work who may not follow Jesus. And they go a different way. And they want you to go with them. And you won't. And so you take your stand and there's a, there's a divide. Maybe it's, it's in the neighborhood. Or everywhere you might go, there's, there's a division and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Jews and the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia and Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Just a couple notes real quick and we'll keep moving on. Number one, the verse seven, the, the division created hardship and persecution and the like, so much so that it heated up to where they were threatening to kill them. And so they left. They, they, they moved on. Surely they, as they did in verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet. And what? They continued to preach the gospel. So that's just one note. They didn't drop the ball. They're getting hammered here with threats to their life. They're being slandered. They're being maligned and the like. Shake the dust off and just keep moving on to the next person who will listen. That's one thing. But a second thing, it's not here, but I think it's worth noting. When division happens, make sure that you remember the game plan, if you will. Here's what I mean. Maybe you're following Jesus and it has created division, maybe with a family member or maybe with someone that you work with or maybe a group of friends or maybe whoever it might be. It's created division. And on the one side, they slander, they malign, they revile, they persecute, they hate. Let's remember our side. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Luke chapter 6. In Romans chapter 12, Paul would say it like this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter would say it like this. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So when division happens, and the pressure's coming, and the hate and the persecution, the slander, the malign, the ostracism and the like. We don't return, right? We pray. We love. We bless. We serve. Verse 8. At Lystra. So now they've, they've moved on from Iconium. They've come now to Lystra. A man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Now, if you're keeping score in the book of Acts, all the way back in Acts chapter 3, this is like Peter and John. There was a man sitting outside the temple who was lame from his mother's womb. And Peter and John raised him up. And Paul is about to raise this man up. It's another one of those indicators throughout the book that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only for the Jews, Acts chapter 3, a man lame from his mother's womb there in Jerusalem. The gospel is not only for the Jews, but it is for the Gentiles also. Here's a man in a backwater town of Lystra. And he's been lame from his mother's womb. Does Jesus care for him just like he does for the Jews? You bet. This gospel is not merely for the Jews. It is for all the nations of the world. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. So apparently Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra. There is no Jewish population here. There's no synagogue. But Paul found opportunity maybe with a gathering crowd to begin to tell them about Jesus. And this man, when he had listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and leaped up and began to walk. So, so Paul saw something in this man's eyes, something in his face. But this man was listening about, to Je about Jesus and had the faith to be made well, and, and God healed him. And so this gospel for the Jews is the gospel for the Gentile. It is for everyone. 
When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. They began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. I was on the phone with one of my pastor buddies earlier this week, pastor here in town, and he said, hey, what are you preaching this Sunday? And I told him, I said, yeah, the, you know, in Lystra when he goes and heals the lame man and they start calling him Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, and he goes, oh, when good ministry goes bad. That was his title for that paragraph. When good ministry, Paul's preaching the gospel. Here's a man lame who has the faith to be made well. He raises him up. He's leaping. Good ministry, wonderful ministry, and yet it takes a turn. The scholars tell us there's a background here. That one of the ancient stories that the people of Lystra and these surrounding towns knew was a story of when the Roman gods Jupiter and Mercury came to visit the people. Now in Greek, Jupiter and Mercury are Zeus, the chief god, and Hermes, the messenger god. Zeus and Hermes in the story had come to visit the people of this part of the world. And they were looking for a hospitable place to stay and no one would be hospitable to them. And from house to house they would go and get closed doors along the way until they came to one couple who showed them hospitality, brought them in, asked them what they wanted and they said, even in death we want to be together forever. And I think the story is that when they died they turned into a tree that, that kind of went up together and that was the idea, the story. When this happened, they misunderstood. Maybe that's the word here. If, 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 the story, if the word up top is division, maybe the story here is sometimes faithful ministry brings misunderstanding. When Paul and Barnabas came and healed this man, they thought that Zeus and Hermes were back and that they did not want to make the same mistake that had been made generations earlier in not showing them hospitality. And so they go to great efforts. In verse 12, they began calling Barnabas Zeus, the chief god, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Barnabas apparently was older than Paul, maybe a little more gray hair at this time. So he's Zeus. Paul was the one doing most of the speaking. So he's Hermes. If you're into Bible study with any kind of depth, maybe you've heard the word of hermeneutics the art and science of biblical understanding or interpretation. It's called hermeneutics, and it comes from this guy, Hermes, the messenger God. And in verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Goodness gracious. Not only are they calling them this, but they're going to worship them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes, rushed out into the crowds, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. 
even saying these things with difficulty. They restrain the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. Need to move fast. Here's maybe a couple of thoughts. Sometimes faithful ministry brings division. And we saw in the midst of that, we bless, we love, we serve. We don't revile in return. We entrust ourselves to him who judges righteously. Sometimes faithful ministry can bring misunderstanding. I'm ministering time when I can with, with a neighbor of mine. And uh, he grew up Catholic. And then along the way, got introduced to some Native American spirituality kind of thing. And he began to mesh his Catholicism that he grew up with, with this kind of thing, and participates regularly in, in sun dances in which they will take bones, and he does this, and they will put those bones into their skin somehow, and they will tie ropes to it, and they will tie the other end to a tree, and, and you, he, you back up and back up and back up and back up until those things pop out of you, and you know what you're doing when that pops out of you? You're making atonement for your sins. And they'll do them on their back. They'll walk away from it until it pops out of their back. And I've shared the gospel with him. And guess what? He thinks he's a Christian. He's just put it all together. And, I've, and I, I try to set my office with him. And I'm going, I think he misunderstands, right? I'm trying to be gentle with him and trying to explain to him further who God is and who Christ is and what he has accomplished for the atonement of our sins and therefore what we no longer need to do. I think that's what Paul and Barnabas do here with a misunderstanding. What do you do when, when your gospel is misunderstood? You patiently meet them where they are. You'll notice that Paul doesn't go back to Old Testament promise with them as he did in the Jewish synagogues. Why? These were not Jewish people growing up in a synagogue. And so where does he start? He starts with the God of creation. He meets them where they are. He's, he's certainly desperate, if you will, but he's also patient with them in their misunderstanding of who they think Paul and Barnabas are and what they think about Hermes and Zeus, Paul's trying to help them understand the gospel. He, he meets them where they are. I'm ministering with another buddy of mine who has, has lived a life of immorality. And I've shared the gospel with him a number of times. And still ministering to him. And I think, he, I think he misunderstands sometimes the gospel. He loves the idea of Jesus being the forgiver of his sins, but the idea of Jesus being the leader of his life, not so much. When Jesus comes, he longs to be the one who forgives your sins and leads your life to be your Savior and Lord. That's who He is. 
The idea that he would merely be the one who forgives all the bad things that I've done and then allows me to keep living the life I want to live. And so what am I trying to do with him? Keep getting with him. I've got a deal in my phone right now. I said it last week to text him tomorrow morning to get together because we've been texting. Sometimes our ministry is misunderstood. Our gospel is misunderstood. And these folks weren't so much trying to kill him. They were just misunderstood. And so he's patiently trying to engage them with the truth. But, verse 19, and we'll finish it up. But the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So they, when he was in Iconium, they threatened to stone him, but he was able to get out of town. Here they chase him down to Lystra, and they've got their man. And they stoned him. They thought he was dead. You, you have to wonder what Paul may have been thinking. Because you remember where Paul came from, Right? Acts chapter 7, when Stephen preached his message that got him stoned to death. Who was there holding the guy's cloaks so that they could get in a good throw? It was Saul, Paul. And here he was now experiencing the same end. They supposed him to be dead. God was gracious to him, merciful. He wasn't dead. Verse 20, while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Back at it again, probably. I think that's the idea. The next day, they would leave. But it's amazing to me that he gets up and heads right back into the city. Not going to drop the ball. Running through this gauntlet of the persecutions I endured at Antioch, Iconium, in Lystra. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When the division comes, let's pray, let's serve, let's bless. When misunderstanding comes, let's patiently engage them with more and more truth, as much truth as they'll allow us to share. And as we get pummeled in the gauntlet, let's just keep moving forward. I'll show you one other fascinating verse in the scriptures. This is, right, we've been looking at Paul in Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra on his first missionary journey. This is the ancient southern region of Galatia. So Paul goes into Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, next week, Derby. He's preaching Christ and leading people to Jesus and planting churches, getting chased out of town and threatened and stoned and the like. It's an amazing thing. And he, after this journey, he will go back to Jerusalem, and apparently what will happen is false teachers will move in behind him and begin to lead the people astray. And Paul will hear about it, and he will write his very first letter that we have in the New Testament. It's called Galatians. We'll probably take a quicker look at it in the next couple of weeks, 
But I want to show you one verse in it, Galatians. Go to your right, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians. And in Galatians, it's six chapters long, go to chapter 6. He goes to great lengths. The false teachers had moved in and had told the people, faith in Jesus isn't enough. You need to believe in Jesus, but also become Jewish. You need to be circumcised, keep Jewish holy days, keep Jewish diet codes. It's faith in Jesus plus. And they were questioning Paul's apostleship, that he wasn't one of the true apostles. And therefore, his gospel wasn't to be trusted. Therefore, listen to us and add to the gospel. Paul heard about it, and Paul wrote Galatians. It's the only book of the New, or it's the only letter of Paul in which he doesn't offer thanks to God for his readers, because he's upset. In chapter one, I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only some are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Chapter 4, I wish I could come to you and change my tone. In chapter 5, I wish those who are troubling you would emasculate themselves. Dang. They were so excited about circumcision, why don't they just go the whole way? And then, you know how he closes the book? Chapter 6, verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Where do you think those came from? Lystra. The stoning he received when he was among them. Listen to me. Don't let anybody trouble me, cause trouble for me. Bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, are you in a hard place because of your commitment to Jesus? Friends are giving you heck. Family's giving you heck. Coworkers giving you heck. Christ comes and he brings a divide. Stay true. You keep loving in return, serving in return, praying in return, blessing in return. Have your missional efforts been misunderstood sometimes? You just want to pull your hair out. Ah! Do you not understand the love of God? Stay at it. Keep engaging as much as they will allow to tell them about Jesus and his love. And as you run the gauntlet, keep going. Keep going. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you so empower your people as we break here in a minute, head out the doors and spread into our homes and neighborhoods and workplaces all over the city. Would you so empower us as we seek to be faithful to you, as we seek to help others follow you. It's not always easy. It brings division and misunderstanding and the like. Empower us to be a people of love the people of kindness and patience and gentleness and grace. Empower us to be a people of truth who keep coming back and, and sharing about Jesus and the love that he has and the forgiveness of sins and the new life that he offers. Help us endure. 
any persecution we might have to experience. For your glory, for our good, and for the salvation of the men, women, boys and girls you bring into our lives. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.